0: The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org.
1: Beautiful sunrise service this morning. Several hundred people gathered together. The uh, weather was absolutely gorgeous. Uh, no rain, no snow, no cold. Uh, first time in uh, years, actually. And uh, how many of you were around when it snowed on Easter Sunday? You were here. That was an amazing Sunday, wasn't it? And, uh we're just uh, grateful that didn't happen today. Uh, we have an annual missions garage sale to garage sale benefits missions. You, begin, you can begin bringing your goodies here on Wednesday, and uh, the sale itself uh, takes place, sale, sale, and auction on Friday, and then the sale on Saturday. Uh, by God's grace and through your generosity, we usually raise about 20000 bucks on a Saturday morning, and we're able to support uh, missions through uh, that additional uh, income in garage sale. We have been studying the gospel of Mark together and uh, thought it would be appropriate for us to conclude our study of Mark's gospel by looking at the resurrection account just from Mark's gospel itself. So Mark chapter 16, beginning in verse 1, we'll be looking at the first eight verses as we wrap up our series in Mark. We begin a new series next Sunday. We're going to call it Postcards from the Past. We're going to take a look at not the longer epistles in the New Testament, but the postcards, uh, little bitty books, Philemon, Second John Third John and Jude, all one-chapter books we're calling postcards in the past, and in the summer we'll be looking at the book of Ecclesiastes from the Old Testament together, so uh, join us in the next several months as we do those things. Mark chapter 16, beginning in verse 1, and when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome brought spices that they might come and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, although it was extremely large. You can see in verses 3 and 4, they had great concern about the stone. It's mentioned in two verses. In fact, at the end of verse 4, Mark adds an insertion, if you will, saying it wasn't just a regular stone, but it was an extremely large stone. Verse 5, "And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting at the right wearing a white robe, and they were amazed. And he said to them, Do not be amazed. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who has been crucified. He's risen. He is not here. Behold the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter, he's going before you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he said to you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had gripped them. And they said nothing to anyone, because they were afraid. Father, we recognize the response of these two women, Trembling, astonishment, fear are the same types of responses we should have to the resurrected Savior. And so as we come into your presence, Lord Jesus, to look at uh, this great event, this greatest announcement, this crazy announcement that a dead man's alive, we pray that you'd instruct us in Christ's name. Amen. What's the wildest, crazy announcement you've ever heard? Maybe on a newscast or maybe in a schoolroom when you were a kid or maybe online or uh, listening to TV. But just a wild, crazy announcement. I'm going to submit to you that the wildest and crazy announcement ever made was that a dead man was alive. I mean, when these women came to the tomb of Christ, they heard the wildest announcement they could ever begin to imagine that the one who was dead was now alive. That wild announcements gets your attention. When you get in an airplane, there are safety announcements made early on by flight attendants. And how many of you actually listen to those announcements? Yeah. That's what I thought. Nobody does. We kind of drift off, nod off, continue playing our video games or reading our emails or talking to one another, but sometimes they do get your attention. There's some wild announcements that have been made over the years. These are actual announcements made by flight attendants on uh, airline flights. Here's one. As you exit the plane, please make sure to gather all your belongings, anything left behind it will be distributed evenly among the flight attendants. Please do not leave children or spouses, even though I imagine people have wanted to leave one or the other in the past. Uh, Here's one. that The plane has just landed, and the captain says we're pleased to have some of the best flight attendants in the industry. Unfortunately, none of them are on this flight. (laughs) And then there was a flight attendant after the captain landed, kind of bounced them into the airport, and she said, we ask you to please remain seated as Captain Kangaroo bounces us the rest of the way into the terminal. And then my favorite one, welcome aboard Southwest Flight 373 to operate your seatbelt. Insert the metal tab into the buckle, pull tight. It works like every other seatbelt. If you don't know how to operate one, you probably shouldn't be out in public unsupervised. She goes on, in the event of sudden loss of cabin pressure, oxygen masks will descend from the ceiling. Stop screaming. Grab the mask. Pull it over your face. If you have small children traveling with you, secure your small child. Secure your mask before assisting with theirs. If you are traveling with two small children, decide which one you love more. (laughs) You have the mask. No, you take the mask. No, mama loves me more. And uh, as we look at that, what we recognize is those are wild and crazy announcements, but nothing compares to what they heard. He's not here. He's risen. Come see the place where the Lord lay, and then go tell the disciples. And their response to that wild announcement is, with trembling and bewilderment, they fled from the tomb. They, They wandered out. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. The women were in mourning because the sun was no longer shining. Darkness had filled their hearts as they came to the tomb to anoint the lifeless body of Jesus. The biggest question in their minds was how they would move the rock that was in front of the tomb. Little did they know what they would see and observe and hear would not only rock their world but change the course of human history. This begins with the story of two women who are wondering. They're wondering, who in the world is going to move this stone? If you pick up the account in verse 1, we have the ladies identified as Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salam. And they've come on a mission. They have come to serve the Savior even though he is dead. They've come to anoint his lifeless body. They came to, to smear more perfume, more embalming oil, if you will, on it. It was a tradition of that day and it's how bodies were preserved for a season. And it happened in verse 2 very early on the first day of the week. By the way, the first day of the week is Sunday. We worship on Sunday now because Christ was resurrected on Sunday. So we gather on the first day of the week. They came to the tomb when the sun had risen. So it's an early morning hour for them. It's like our sunrise service this morning, an early hour. The sun is just coming up. And as they're coming, the question they have in verse 4 is, who will roll away the stone for, for us from the entrance of the tomb? So, so they've got a problem. Now, these two ladies are Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome. We don't know much about the second Mary. We know many things about the first Mary. But we know the first Mary had been filled with hopelessness, despair, depression, and demons. In fact, she had seven demons in her. Christ came. He freed her from the demonic torture that she was in. The demons were cast out of her body. She was given love, she was given dignity, she was given worth, and she was given hope. But on Friday, it seemed like the Roman Empire had squashed her hope. They had blown out the light of the world. On Friday, at the crucifixion of Christ, everything she had placed her hope and trust in was now gone. And Mary, the one who had been given life, who had been given hope, who had been given dignity and given worth, is now in mourning. Her hope is taken away. The light is gone and blown out. What would she do? Well, she did what she always did. Love had drawn her to the foot of the cross, and now love is drawing her to the grave of the Savior. And it says this, it's interesting that there are several things that are mentioned about the resurrection of Christ in different parts of the Gospels, but all four Gospels mentions the concern of these women about the stone. All four Gospels. Check it out. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. In the Greek word that's used here for rock or stone is an interesting word. They have several different words at their disposal. One could be a pebble, so just a small rock you would take and a kid might throw. There's another that refers to a larger rock, and it would be like a stone that we might pick up. But the word that's used here is like a boulder. It's something that is large. In fact, if you went to Israel, you might see a few of these even now. Basically, these are dug out caves or dug out tombs and that there would be a groove and the groove would uh, be so that a circular stone could be rolled in front of it. Now these are two women and they're thinking, how in the world will we move such a stone? The stone is blocking the tomb of Christ, the grave of Christ. They recognize to anoint the lifeless body of Christ. Somebody has to be there to help them to do it. Who would it be? Wouldn't be the disciples. They fled. It wouldn't be the religious leaders. They're glad Christ is in that grave and dead. It certainly wouldn't be the Roman leaders because they don't want another coup from the Jews on their hands. And so they are asking the same question in all four Gospels. Who's going to help us move the stone? And then the unthinkable happens. Just when they think things cannot get any worse, they do. Just when they think that things could not get any worse, they come around the corner, and they see that somebody has robbed the grave of Jesus. They see that the stone has already been moved away, and the stone has been moved away, and they recognize it's a problem. That's why they are amazed. That's why they're afraid. In fact, if you look at John's parallel account in John chapter 20, it says they were filled with fear. They're wondering who stole the body of Jesus. Where they're going to take his body and put it on mock display, where they're going to cast it in the valley of Gehenna, that is the, the dump outside of Jerusalem to be eaten by dogs. And so they have this great concern. The concern is who's going to move the stone, and then after that their concern is who snatched the body of the Savior? The stone. You know, when you think about that it's quite interesting. Now, you've got to answer that question. Maybe you're here today as a skeptic or a doubter. Who moved the stone of Christ? One of the books in my library is entitled that, Who Moved the Stone? It's a story of an English uh, trial lawyer who decided to disprove Christianity by disproving the resurrection. The first chapter of the book is called The Greatest Story Ever, or The Book That Refused to be Written. And the title of the book is Who Moved the Stone? He could not get past that, that question. He recognized it was a supernatural event, and the only person who could have moved that stone was Jesus himself. And so he found himself in his Jerusalem hotel on his knees, trusting Christ as his Savior, even though he had set out to disprove Christianity. I ask you, who moved the stone? Who did it? it wasn't the religious leaders? It wasn't the Roman officials? It certainly wasn't the disciples. There are many evidences of the resurrection. There are the fulfilled prophecies spoken by Jesus. There's the broken seal. There are the AWOL Roman guards. There's the grave clothes inside the tomb. There's a changed lives of the disciples. But one of the evidences of the resurrection of our Savior is the fact that this stone had been moved. Somebody had rolled it away. Somebody had moved it away. And it's one of the great evidences of the resurrection. Well, these ladies come, and they're wondering. They're wondering who's going to help them. But as they get there, the mystery is solved. They recognize they don't have to worry about moving the stone. They were going to worry about other things. The grave was empty. You know, in Mark's gospel, if you've been with us over the last several months, we've seen in three different occasions where Jesus has come to the disciples and he says, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be delivered up and killed. And then I will rise again. But it didn't sink into the disciples. Even though he had told them on three different occasions, he says, I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to be delivered up, I'm going to die, and then I will rise again. The disciples didn't get it, but what he had prophesied comes true right here. And so even though they didn't comprehend it, we see the truth of the Savior's promise coming at that time. And so we move from the wondering women to the wonderful Savior. We see our wonderful Savior here. And as this angel, this young man is described in John's Gospel as an angel, it says they looked up and they saw the stone had been rolled away. And to their amazement, this large stone has moved away. And as they come, they enter the tomb and they see this angel sitting there. He's wearing a white robe and they were amazed. And he said to them, don't be amazed. Don't be afraid. Now, you know, in all my years of studying scriptures, one of the things I found out, Whenever an angel says, Don't be afraid, you ought to be afraid. I mean, think about it for a second. I mean, here's Mary minding her own business. Gabriel appears from her. What is Gabriel's first words to Mary? Don't be afraid. And then he goes to Joseph. What are his first words to Joseph? What are they? don't be afraid then he goes to the shepherds you remember the shepherds are binding their sheep at night all of a sudden the, the the angels appear in the sky and what do they tell the shepherds fear not for unto you is born this day in the city of david a savior who is christ the lord mary joseph the angels are told don't be afraid you need to be afraid you need to be afraid i mean the announcement to these guys is don't be afraid but they're scared It reminds me of another uh, airline story, uh, an announcement uh, that was made. A plane was taking off from DFW headed to Kennedy Airport. After it reached a comfortable cruising altitude, the captain made an announcement on the intercom. Ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking. Welcome to flight number 293, nonstop from DFW to Kennedy Airport. The weather ahead is good. Therefore, we should have a smooth and uneventful flight. Now sit back and relax. And then they heard from the cockpit over the microphone, oh, no. Imagine you're on that plane. Imagine that announcement coming out. Captain finally came back on the intercom a couple of minutes later and said, Ladies and gentlemen, so sorry if if I scared you earlier, uh, but while I was talking, the flight attendant brought me a hot cup of coffee and spilled it in my lap. You should see the front of my pants. A guy midway through the uh, economy class stood up and said, That's nothing. You should see the back of my pants right now. Don't be afraid. Hey, don't be afraid, ladies. What do you mean, don't be afraid? The one who is dead is now alive. That's the most amazing announcement ever made. The dead man walks among you. The dead man breathes. The dead man is alive. Everything he said is now true. He's alive. He's alive. I like the way Max Licato puts this. He says, how conditions have changed since Friday. The crucifixion was marked by sudden darkness, silent angels mocking soldiers at the empty tomb. The soldiers are silent. angel speaks and light erupts like Vesuvius. The one who was dead is said to be alive, and the soldiers who are alive—or the soldiers who—I'm sorry—the one who was dead is said to be alive, and the soldiers who are alive look as if they're dead. The woman can tell that something is up. What they don't know is that someone is up. In the parallel accounts of the gospel, Jesus appeared to Mary Magdalene. She thought he was a gardener. He says, "Mary." She says, "Rabbi." And she clings to the Savior. You see, the first century church saw the living Christ. That's our wonderful Savior. Another author says the early Christians did not believe in the resurrection of Christ because they could not find his dead body. They believed because they found a living Savior. You see, he was alive. And so they said, don't be afraid. Don't be amazed. He's not here. Come see the place where he lay. Then look at verse 7. But go tell his disciples and Peter, he's going before you into Galilee. There you will be able to see him just as he said. Go tell the disciples and Peter. I thought Peter was one of the disciples. You see it in verse 7? I've underlined it in my Bible. And Peter. Go tell the disciples and Peter. Why is Peter singled out? I mean, why when Christ says, go tell the disciples, he mentions Peter by name. You know, Peter has fallen far, and Peter has fallen fast. And Peter needed to be restored. And later on, in John chapter 21, after the resurrected Christ has appeared in many places, he comes to Peter. They're fishing, and Peter's fishing, and he sees a man on the shore and realizes it's Jesus, and After he realizes it's Jesus, Jesus calls him to the seashore. And you're familiar with this. I preached on it two weeks ago. Christ restores Peter three times at a fire, just like Peter had denied him three times at a fire. And Christ singles out Peter. Go tell the disciples and Peter. You know, my favorite all-time video comes out of this verse. It's a group of guys called the Skit Guys who put videos together. You can purchase and look at And it comes right out of this verse. If you've been here for any time, I've showed it before, but since it comes out of this verse, I think it's only appropriate for us to look at it again. Watch this video as to why Peter might have been named by the Savior.
2: Grace is God's unmerited favor for us, his crazy love. And the truth is, many times we struggle understanding it. If you find yourself struggling to understand God's grace, don't beat yourself up. Even the disciples struggled with understanding grace. It's always about me. That's grace, Peter.
1: That's the story of Easter. It's not about us, it's about him. It's about him calling your name, not just Peter's name. It's about him giving you hope. It's about him giving you life. It's about him saying your failure doesn't have to be final. It's about him calling your name. And so he called the name of Peter. And he said, go and tell the disciples and Peter that I'll see him in Galilee. He's called your name. Have you responded? What are you waiting for? What are you running from? Why are you hiding? Who are you blaming? Easter is a story about Jesus, a compassionate Savior who lived a sinless life, who died as your sacrifice, who conquered sin and death. And so we have a wonderful Savior. We had women wondering. We have a wonderful Savior. And at the very end, in that last verse, we have women who are wondering, that is moving about and around. Moving about and around, wondering where they'll go, what they'll say, what they'll do. You see, I'm convinced of this. I'm convinced that the present fulfillment of the promises that Christ made gives us a future hope. The present fulfillment is the resurrection. You see, when he was resurrected, he was fulfilling his past promises. And therefore, the disciples had a future hope, a hope he had given them. Likewise, the fact that he has fulfill those promises, allows us to look ahead at the hope he gives to us if we trust in him. See, on Friday everything was bleak, but then our Savior arose, and the one who was hopeless is filled with hope. The one who has failed is given a future. That's his story, and that's our story. You know, the only appropriate response to the resurrection of Christ is worship. Worship team, would you guys join me? The only appropriate response is to worship. To worship the Savior who's risen. To worship the Savior who's alive. To worship the Savior who gave his life. To worship the Savior who came to these women who were wondering, What's happened? Have they stolen his body? Is he still there? What's it mean that he's alive? So this morning, I'm going to pray. Then I'm going to go to the back and I'll pray with any of you about anything you might want to do. We've had a couple of folks trust Christ to save you this Easter Sunday. A man in his 70s came to me last hour and he said, it's time for me to give up. It's time for me to trust Christ. And he did. What about you? What about you? Quit running. Quit blaming. Quit hiding. Trust Christ for the first time. Or perhaps let go of the things that you're hiding behind. And run for him all the time. Father, we're thankful for a Savior who came and offered his life on our behalf. A Savior who died in our place. And a Savior who is resurrected. We thank you that he overcame the power of sin and death. And the grave could not hold him. Death could not hold him. And therefore, we worship him this day. We worship a risen Savior. We worship one who's alive. We worship you, Lord Jesus. To you be all glory. To you be all honor. To you be all praise. In your name, amen.